0: We're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. All right, rejoice! Praise the Lord. Say hi to someone sitting right next to you. It's good to see you in church. And sit down. Zamada Mardakai Hallelujah. So we, we would continue, media temples fix this. We would continue the teaching from where we stopped last week. Um, before I go into the teaching, how many of you are finished writing your exams let me see your hands. All right congratulations happy for you happy for you. How many of you are still writing the exams The Lord be with you Amen, Amen. you'll soon be done. How many of you will be done this week oh All right all right all right congratulations in advance. Thank you Lord Jesus I will call upon your name And fix my eyes above the waves When oceans rise My soul will rest in your Of the waves when oceans rise my soul from where we stopped last week and um, as per the um, culture for the month, if um, the second microphone should be made available. If anyone's got a question, just raise your hand and um, a member of the logistics team will give you the microphone and you'll be able to ask your questions. Do you love Jesus? Yes, sir! all right let's go into um today's teaching actually let me finish last week's teaching um i talked about or oh, we started talking about jesus and this month we're doing a theological expose on the person of jesus who is he what does it mean that he is the son of god what does it mean that he is um the only begotten and the first begotten i, I all of those things last week to you is that correct and so i want to take is there anybody named timothy in church timothy actually around here anyone named timothy raise your hand anyone like that i just heard the name in my spirit anyone like that all right let's keep going and so um i would um continue from where i stopped and The remaining part of last week's teaching was the doctrinal importance of the virgin birth why was it necessary that Jesus was born of a virgin why was it necessary that Jesus was born of a virgin hallelujah thank you Lord Jesus thank you Lord Jesus alright so I will speak to two areas, all right, I have three, but I removed the third for lack of, you know, time, so I will speak to two areas, and the first is, why was it necessary that Jesus was born of a virgin? Because, number one, it shows that salvation ultimately must come from the Lord alone, Salvation is ultimately God's responsibility. Salvation is ultimately God's responsibility. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God was speaking and he said, When he was speaking to the devil, he said, the serpent will bite the heel of the man, but the man will bruise the serpent's head. That is, the man will bring about the destruction of the serpent. And if you go through scripture, you would realize that many times the serpent is a metaphor for the works of the devil. Are we, are we together? I taught that at Teachathon last year. How many of you would like us to do something like that again this year? All right, okay. So I taught that at Teachathon last year, where We exposed the serpent. What is the serpent? The serpent is the devil and anyone under the influence of the devil working the plans and purposes of the devil. That's the serpent. So the Bible says the man will bruise the head of the serpent. Meaning the man will bring to an end the operations of the serpent but the serpents will bruise the heel of the man. Now, the heel would many times be used as a metaphor for a man's position of weakness. You see, because many times in battle in those days, a soldier will be well clad from top to legs, but many times he's wearing just leather boots for mobility, and so the heel is sort of exposed. But there's iron everywhere else, the heel is many times exposed so the heel will many times be the metaphor for his weak position. And so what was God saying when he said the, man will, the serpent will bruise the heel and the man will crush his head? God was saying that the serpent will become the weakness of man. But one of those men will rise and kill or destroy the effect of the serpent. Does it make sense? That's the reason why in theology, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 actually has a name it is called the protuvangelion p-r-o-t-t-u-v-a-n-g-e-l-i-o-n and what that word simply means is the first declaration of the gospel for the first time the gospel in its fullness was clearly declared and man heard it are you with me where god says to the serpent you will bruise his heel you will be his weakness. Sin will be his weakness. Your operations will be the man's weakness. But out of these men, one will rise. Are you with me? One would rise. Now notice when God created man and named him Adam. Adam is not a proper noun as much as it is a collective noun. Do you remember the difference between the both? Your name is a proper noun. All right, Ben, that's your name. It's a proper noun. Man, when used in reference to him alone, I think, I don't know if it's a proper noun, but it's just one kind of noun, but it's not collective. But when man is used in reference to all male species, is collective. Are you with me? And when man is used even further in reference to every being, as in mankind, it is also collective so adam the word adam means mankind are you with me are you with me the word adam means mankind so when god says you will bruise the heel of the man he's talking about how satan would be the weakness of mankind are we together and then he says the man would bruise the heel on the head of Satan. He's talking about how mankind will eventually rise to crush the operations of the devil. But how mankind rose to crush the operations of the devil is through the rise of one man from within mankind who would bear the consequences of mankind's misgivings and failures. And having borne the punishments and consequences he would then give rise to a new race of men. Are you with me? who would crush the head of satan that's the salvation gospel genesis chapter 3 verse 15 now how does this relate to the virgin birth if it was a man who came and said you know what there's a prophecy about some messiah that is to come why don't we work hard to bring the messiah into this earth Um, I've, i've kept myself holy and clean. My wife, you have kept myself, yourself holy and clean. Let's go and do what adults do to make babies and give birth to a holy and clean person who will be Messiah. Then salvation will not be the prerogative of God. Are you with me? It will be the prerogative of a man. But the fact that it was God at the fullness of times without the instigation of man that decided you would bear a child and that child you bear will be the Holy One and he will be called Emmanuel for, he will, for God will be amongst his people. The fact that it was God that took that prerogative shows that salvation is totally God's idea and responsibility. Are we together? Yes, sir. Good. So the virgin birth is important in that it illustrates That Jesus was not born of the will of man but of the will of God and therefore every other man that would be born in likeness to Jesus will not be done so by the will of man but by the will of God this is why salvation is not on you it is on God do you get it we partner with him to bring into actualization the things that he has brought to pass in our lives. A very good scripture that shows this is John chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. Actually, 13 to 14 is okay, but let's start from verse 12. It says, verse 12 please. Verse 11 says, he came unto his own, and his own believed him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to be called or to become the sons of God. Now, there's a slight Um, technicality that exists in this verse of scripture. The word power there is authority. Some of your translations would read it as authority. Alright. Now, why was it authority that was needed to become the sons of God? Because sonship requires audacity. To stand and say, this is my father, requires some level of audacity to know that I am exempt from the errors or the punishments that belong to slaves or belong to the wrongdoers. I am in his good books. John, are you with me? So Jesus says or, or John remarking says the ones who believe received the authority that is now it is conferred on you the right. That's the word right. He gave them the right to become the sons of God say I have the right, I have the right to, be to be called God's own Say it again, I have the right right. to be called God's own. So, but as many as received him, to them gave he authority, right, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, verse 13, which were born, that is, these people who believed, were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The genesis of this is the virgin birth. The fact that Jesus himself was not born because of blood, that is, he is not from, Jesus is not from Joseph's lineage, technically speaking. (laughs) Are you with me? He doesn't have Joseph's DNA. Do you get what I'm saying? So he's not of blood, nor of the will of man. Joseph didn't meet Mary and say, you've been a great person, let's do something and give birth to Emmanuel never happened it wasn't the will of man but the will of god it wasn't the will of flesh two people were not excited and then boom boom One to led to another nine months later jesus was on the scene it wasn't the will of flesh it was the will of god the virgin birth proves that salvation is number one god's idea number two god's prerogative and number three god's responsibility Do you get it? It is his idea. It was his prerogative. And it is his responsibility. Praise the Lord. Number two. Why was the virgin birth necessary? Praise the Lord. Because in the virgin birth we see the possibility of uniting the true deity of Jesus and the true humanity of Jesus. I'll say that again. In the virgin birth, we see the possibility of uniting the true deity of Jesus and the true humanity of Jesus in one person. if you think about any other possible way Jesus could have come into this world you would realize that it would have nullified his assignment raise your hand if you've ever thought about it, that. why didn't God just appear and then die <laughs> raise your hand if you've thought about that before well because if he just appeared then he wouldn't be a man are you with me He will will be a spirit. And his death will not be efficacious for men. In Hebrews, the Bible says, because we share in flesh and blood, we are flesh and blood. He shared in those things. That is our flesh and blood. Are we together? So, in the virgin birth, we see the possible uniting of humanity and divinity in one person. okay so if he couldn't just appear how about why did it have to be a virgin why didn't joseph just sleep with mary god give his blessing over the relationship and then they will give birth to a man because the man they give birth to will now just be only a man and not god do you understand and listen jesus what what distinguishes jesus from every other prophet in the Old Testament is not that the Holy Ghost came upon Jesus, but that the Holy Ghost came within, like Jesus came with the Holy Ghost within him. Are you with me? And that was only possible because he was God or he is God. I, I don't know if you are following what I'm saying. That's what distinguished him from Elijah or Elisha or any of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah, David, all of them. They were mere men upon whom the Holy Ghost came. And it's beautiful to see what can happen to a man's life when the Holy Ghost comes upon the man's life. Because you see, you read the stories of Elijah, you read the stories of Samson, and how the Holy Ghost would come upon a man and he would outrun chariots. He would come upon a man, he would pull down pillars of temples with his bare hands. Come upon a man, he would hold a jawbone and kill an entire army. <laughs> so as impressive... As the Holy Ghost upon a man is. Think of what the Holy Ghost within a man means. That was what Jesus came to do. So he came as the first with the Holy Ghost inside of him. Amen. Amen. In the reading of the Bible, you must be careful about um, terminologies. Usually in the Old Testament, you will see statements like, and the Holy Spirit came upon, and he did. You see, we know the Holy Ghost came upon him because we saw what he did. Yeah. So it's not like the guy was walking there suddenly <gasps> then he came back and now the Holy Ghost is upon me. No. We know the Holy Ghost is upon a man when we see his actions. Even you, if a man stands up and begins to prophesy, we know the Holy Ghost is upon him. Yeah. At what point did we see the Holy Ghost come upon him? We didn't. But when we saw the actions, we testified, ah, this is, the Holy Ghost is upon this man. But in the New Testament, the indwelling presence of the Holy Ghost is an ever-present reality. Are you with me? It's an ever-present reality. That means, whether I see you do or I don't see you do, I know you have the Holy Ghost in you. Are we together? I know you've got the Holy Ghost in you. That's what Jesus died to give you Hallelujah. praise the Lord Hallelujah. so we beheld his glory verse 14 of John 1 as of the only begotten of the father I taught you that word only begotten means the unique one what was unique about him was that every other man that was born before him was born one in likeness of sinful flesh two, without a living spirit inside of him but when Jesus was born Jesus was born yes likeness of sinful flesh but he had the Holy Ghost Hallelujah. and so we beheld his glory we saw his walkings as of the only begotten of the Father Jesus would speak and they would say no man ever spoke like that let Jesus challenge you for a bit let your words be seasoned with salt do you get what I'm saying yes, sir. leverage on the influence of the indwelling spirit to live out the life that God has preordained for you leverage on it No man ever spoke like him. Many times, they would corner Jesus, ask him questions to implicate him, and Jesus would give an answer, and the Pharisees would be dumbfounded. He said, I've given you a mouth and a wisdom that the enemies can neither gainsay nor resist. The work of the Spirit, even though sanctification is important, and even though um, forgiveness and holiness is important, and those are the most important aspects of the work of the Spirit, there is more to the work of the Spirit than those. There is a mouth and a wisdom that the enemy cannot get, say or resist. There is a wisdom that the enemy cannot resist. You start to speak, you start to say things. And people like, you are wise. How are you this wise at this age? It's the Holy Ghost. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Decisions that every, a situation that floored everybody else, you sailed through it. Say, how did you know to not take this bits? How did you know to do this? It is the Holy Ghost. He lives in me. Yes, sir. Are you with me? Yes, in every fiber of my being, he lives in me. In every bone of my body, I, he lives in me. From the crown of my head to the sole of my feet, I am bathed and filled with the Spirit. This is why Paul gives an admonition. He says, do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but keep being filled with the Spirit. Why? Because the influence of the Spirit is like calm waters. When water is calm, it looks harmless. Until you begin to stir it. I'm never at a disadvantage. I'm not stranded. I've got the Holy Ghost. Every day, watch what your life will be don't be drunk with wine wearing its excess. Why did Paul use that illustration? Because when you are filled with wine, it, it influences your actions. When you are driving, having been filled with alcohol, they will call it driving under influence. Something is influencing you. You see a man that is high or he's drunk, he just starts singing. Something serious is happening, He is laughing. I mean, you can think about it and so even the way he can't stand in one place he is always he... so it tells you something about the acts two experience that these jewish people that were used to seeing drunkards saw a group of people making noise observed them observed their actions and said they are drunk what were they observing do you think that the apostles were just speaking in tongues like come on will you if you see somebody walking like that you say he's drunk best case scenario you are joking (laughs) but you're not drunk they must have looked mad do you hear what i'm saying in actions they must have looked crazy in fact peter you know of all the allegations that were put Against them, the only one Peter addressed is being drunk. because he said, he knew that. He's <laughs> like, we were looking drunk. Stop looking for inside a bottle what is already inside of you. You already have the Holy ghost. Take from within, put upon. Are you with me? Yes, Take from within you put upon this is what jesus gave you he died to make it possible he died to replicate himself so it means i can be in a low point and i just i might not feel like it but i just start calmly and as you are praying is rising inside of you Shaba. so the
1: earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the foundations and all that dwell therein. For He has founded it upon the waters and established it upon the flood. Ah, Yapako, and my lost Iparusa, We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. We do your every bidding move at your every command. We obey, we go without hindering. Daddy, reign, reign in majesty. Reign, ride on in majesty. Ride on my king, ride on my king it's the atmosphere of Jesus, the atmosphere of Jesus,
0: the atmosphere of Jesus. the atmosphere. Jesus. This, is the atmosphere. this is the atmosphere of Jesus. The atmosphere of Jesus The atmosphere of Jesus This is the atmosphere Where nothing when is, is impossible, impossible And no, no disease, disease is curable. This is the atmosphere This is the atmosphere
1: When nothing is impossible
0: Sing that song if you know it, let's wrap no this up Curable. This is the atmosphere. Father, this is the atmosphere. thank you for such an atmosphere. Thank you for your hallowed presence. Thank you for the privilege to have moments like this. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's go into today's teaching. (laughs) I promise we'll finish at the right time. If I don't finish the teaching, we will continue next week. I am so glad that Jesus Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. I like that last line because it's like you don't believe it. Even me. With all the wickedness in my heart, Jesus loves me. With all the failures and failings in my heart, Jesus loves me. With the contradictions that I struggle with, Jesus loves me. That's the reality of God's love. He looked through my heart and still loved me the same. He's amazing. Alright. Reasons why we say Jesus is God. That's what I'm supposed to teach today. Reasons why we say Jesus is God. For like 30 seconds, you guys should stop playing, please. Thank you. Hallelujah number one prophecy this is 1130 um I, w- I will just teach as far as i can and then we'll continue next week is that okay the abuja church has gapped us they've left us since <laughs> all right isaiah chapter nine verse six why do we say jesus is god number one prophecy there's a person i just had a vision and i saw a person i think it was 2 days ago or sometime in this past week i saw your family they were kicked out of the house i saw i saw a picture of your mom begging as surely as the lord lives before this week runs out help will come Amen. help will come in the name of jesus help will come isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder i think this is this has to be one of the highest expression of discipline i've had to do in a while the urge to just flow and keep going with the service But we gathered for God's words. Let's have it. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is a prophecy about Jesus. Is that true? It's a prophecy about Jesus. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the prophet did not mean's words. He says the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called, number one, Wonderful. Number two, Counselor. Number three, the Mighty God. So the son that is given is to be called the Mighty God. Are you with me? Yes, sir. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, I think. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name what? Emmanuel. Now, you may not understand what this verse of scripture means. There were different names in Hebrew times. Are you with me? There was Joshua, the Savior. That's what Joshua means. John, Yahweh, is gracious. Do you understand? Different names in Hebrew times. But when the prophecy of Jesus was given, the Bible wasn't saying that his nomenclature, that is the name by which he will be called, is Emmanuel. But rather, the phenomenon that he would represent is Emmanuel. Emmanuel is more than a name. It is a concept. And what is the concept? Emmanuel means God. Not just with us as in the Lord goes with us, he fights for me. No, Emmanuel is God with us by being among us. That is God disguising and being in our midst. That's what Emmanuel means. Emmanuel is not just... God, you know, Moses says, if you don't go with me, I won't go. So there's a concept of God with us as in God has my back. That's not what Emmanuel is. Emmanuel is God walking with us. So Isaiah says, a son will be born of a virgin and his name shall be called Emmanuel. What he will represent is Emmanuel because if you remember, in Jewish times, they would usually name people and experiences based on what those people and experiences represented. For instance, Samuel was this Samuel who was named for I drew him out of the water. Is this Samuel? Moses was named Moses because he was drawn out of the water. Is that correct? Good. Samuel was named Samuel because I asked him of the Lord. So they didn't just, it's not like today that we give names because it's fresh. Zoe. You don't know what it means, but it starts with Z. And some, some parents do concepts. All your children will have their names starting with Z. So Zoe Zebrudaya. What, is it not somebody's name? You're shouting it to Zeb. Come on. <laughs> Zerubbabel. <laughs> Alright. but So, Jesus was named, or when he was saying this, he wasn't saying, what you will be calling him is Emmanuel. But like the other times, when Abraham um, needs prov- um, provision, and then God provides that he names the place Jireh, Jehovah provides. Are you with me? Uh-huh. In the same way, he will be called Emmanuel. Why? Because the Repres- the the um, occurrence that he would represent is God walking amongst us. So, why do we refer to Jesus as God? Prophecy. Number one, prophecy. It was clearly written in prophecy. In fact, one of the reasons why the Jews do not want to accept Jesus as the Messiah even till this day, is because they know that if they accept him as Messiah, they have to call him God. Because the prophecy is that the Messiah is God. The government will be upon his shoulders. He'll be called wonderful, great. He'll be called counselor, great. But also he'll be called the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Another prophecy to consider is Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem unto the Messiah and the Prince, the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. The streets shall be built again and the wall even in troublous Times Now, this was an angel giving a prophecy to Daniel about when the Messiah would walk amongst us. Are you with me? Yes, now, um, he says seven weeks, right? He says it shall be seven weeks and three score and two weeks. That is, three score is 60 and two weeks you get now weeks can either mean days or years or weeks depending on how you are using it especially if you are using it in a colloquial context are you with me even if you are not with me stay with me <laughs> if you are using you know what colloquial means a figurative sense if you are using it figuratively it can mean days or months or years this is just a little bit of theology now, if you look at it in, in years, between this writing and the fulfillment of the prophecy, you should have roughly about, sorry, I have to reference my notes for this one. Um, seven sevens, that is a week is seven. Are you with me? That's seven days. So seven sevens, that's 49, right? plus 62 sevens. That's three score and two sevens. Are you with me? Notice. So that's 434. So if you add the two of them together, that's 434 plus the 49 years that he prophesied. It will be roughly about 483 um, years. Now, this may not make sense until you realize that 483 years from this is, hmm. I have a lot to... Let me, let me just go through it. So from the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, which is... Note he says that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, that is from the time they issued the decree to rebuild Jerusalem till when the Messiah will be revealed is 483 years. That's the math. So from the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah would come, should be 483 years and Gabriel adds that Jerusalem will be rebuilt in distressful times now the book of Nehemiah t- tells us you know how you do your own study but it's technical so you have to uh, that's what's going on the book of Nehemiah tells us that while Nehemiah led Israel in building Jerusalem's walls, so by the way you know the book of Nehemiah and Ezra were like some of the last books to be written in the, new, in the Old Testament if you didn't know now you know the arrangement of the Old Testament books in your Bible is not chronological, all right? Esther, the book of Esther happened later on in the Old Testament. Isaiah happened before Esther. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's not chronological in your Bible, all right? Did I, have I taught this before? Yeah. Like, have I given you the list? Yeah. At on I did, right? And then bigness For those of you in tribigness, I did that for you. Join, pay for tribigness and join. I'm just joking. But if you're a woman in ministry, you should consider being a part of the school of ministry. Um, I think at um, Liberty Bible Course, just remind me, I would go through the list for you. I have an arrangement of how the books appear. how the, A chronological arrangement of the books of the Bible. So I'll go through that. So Nehemiah was written closer to the New Testament than Genesis, although it exists closer to Genesis in your Bible than the New Testament, makes sense. Okay, so that's why I'm referencing Nehemiah. Even if it don't, doesn't make sense, stay with me. So, um, now though Israel was sent back to their land by Cyrus, the issuing of the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, to rebuild Israel was given by King Artaxerxes to Nehemiah in 444 BC. You can find that in Nehemiah chapter two. 444 BC. Now, when one takes into account that the Jewish calendar was 360 days and not 365, then 483 years later would be right in 33 AD, which was the year Jesus was killed when his ministry began, if you remember. That that year that his ministry was in full. In fact, the, the week to the exact date of the revelation of the fulfillment of this prophecy would be the week of the triumphant entry. Do you get that week where he proclaims himself as Messiah before all of Israel? That's the week this prophecy was fulfilled. Why did I go through all of this theology? To show you that one of the reasons we believe Jesus is God is because prophetic accuracy points to him being God does it make sense Uh, so even if you don't remember all the figures you don't remember all the statistics you can do the research yourself prophetic accuracy points to Jesus as the Messiah and the Jews believed that the Messiah would be God so why do we believe that Jesus is God because of prophecy in fact if you look at the story of the triumphant entry. You would notice that Jesus' words were deliberate. Luke 19:41 to 44. Please move very quickly. I'm very very out of time. Luke 19:41. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, verse 42, saying, "If thou hast known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes," verse 43. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemy shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee, on every, keep thee in on every side. Verse forty-four, and shall thou, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children shall and their children within thee, and they shall not live in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of your visitation. Now I, I spoke about this briefly last week when I was, I was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. So. The week from, like the, in the prophecy of the angel, in sometime in AD, in BCE 444, the king decrees that Jerusalem be rebuilt. And the angel says that from the rebuilding of Jerusalem to the showing of the Messiah would be 483 years, give and take. Right? Now, at the time that the Messiah should be shown, jesus prophesies something else and what is he prophesying the destruction of jerusalem do you understand so it wasn't a coincidence it was almost as if the angel was saying from the time that jerusalem will be rebuilt to the time that it will be destroyed in the time of the messiah will be this number of years and so at the time when it was meant to be destroyed the messiah stands and gives a prophecy about the destruction of jerusalem are we together so why do we believe that Jesus is God? Because of prophecy. Number two, I will stop here after number two. Um, and then we will continue next week. <laughs> We're having a backlog of teachings. But we will continue next week. Number two, Jesus called himself God. Jesus called himself God. God. In John chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. John chapter 5, verse 16 to 18. And and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Verse 17. But Jesus answered them, saying, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought to kill him the more, because he not only had broken the the Sabbath, but said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, again, I think I said this last week when I was teaching you. There is a lot of cultural, um, um, I, I think the word is discrepancy. There's a deviation in cultures between our culture and their culture. So there's something you need to understand about the Jewish culture. When a boy is come of age, the father throws a party for him. I think it's called a bar mitzvah. I think he's at the age of 12 also. The father throws a party for him. And what the father does in that party is that the father announces to everyone that this is my son and every dealing with my son is a dealing with me. From that day, anybody that deals with the son will deal with the son as though he's dealing with the father. Are you with me? So fatherhood in Jewish culture meant differently. It's not like today. (laughs) right so when jesus refers to god as his father the jews are not just hearing my papa where i came from the jews are hearing if you hear me speak you are hearing my father you're hearing god speak me and god we are the same do you understand and if you if you know if you understand the culture you would then see the significance of the baptism when the father declares, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Which means, this is he who would be my representative. Are you with me? Again, at the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus stands, Elijah stands, and Moses stands. And the, the disciples are marveling at Moses and Elijah. They've been boys for a long time. And now these guys are standing right before me. And the voice of God comes again. Look at Jesus. He is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Which means what he says is what I say. Are you with me? Yes, so when Jesus said this, that when they were complaining about the Sabbath, Jesus says, my father walks and I walk. They're like, your father? Which one? Joseph. Say, no. The one. <laughs> say, we'll kill you now. Because not only did you walk on Sabbath day, you have now called... Y- God, your Father, making you and God one. I are you with me? Yes, sir. All right. Another time Jesus called himself God. John chapter 8, 54 to 59. John 8, 54 to 59. We'll read one more verse of scripture after this one and then we'll pray and continue this teaching next week. Sunday. Are you learning something? Yes, sir. I really hope you are. Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me. Of whom ye say that he is your God. (laughs) Next verse. (laughs) Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I will be a liar like unto you. But I know him and I keep his saying. Verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Verse 57. Then said the Jews unto him. You are not yet 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? Verse 50 next. And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Before Abraham, I am. And then verse 59, Then took they up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself. I went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. (laughs) I explained this one to you guys last week, yeah? Before Abraham, I am. And they're like, you, Iwo, you are, you is, what are you? (laughs) We'll kill you now. (laughs) All right, so Jesus, and, and this is important because... Many times when you have conversations with Muslim apologists, they would say, Jesus was a great prophet. Yes, we agree. But he never called himself God. <laughs> he did, many times. The third one is in John chapter 14. I think John chapter 14, verse 8. Show me John 14, 8, please. Everybody look to, in fact, read together with me one to go. Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. Verse 9, Jesus said unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me? Philip, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus was genuinely offended. (laughs) Philip said, Pops live forever. <laughs> you know, Govex, you've been talking about this father since we met you. Just show us the father and we'll be all right. And Jesus is like, show us the father? Peter, can you hear this guy? <laughs> have, I, have I been with you for so long and you have not seen the father? If you've seen me. <laughs> Anybody that says Jesus never called himself God does not know the Bible. <laughs> I think I have time to squeeze in one more point. <laughs> you know the Bible. Point number three. Jesus never refused worship. <laughs> you know, in our day, you are somehow, even I as a pastor, people tend to want to honor me and they want to bend and greet me. And I find it weird. I do. I actually do. Many times when people bend and greet me. I'm like, please stand up. Don't." Do. Some people kneel. I'm like, mm. So, it is either you are extremely pompous, or you truly deserve it. If a woman you are sitting down, a woman comes, she is crying, and she pours her tears on your legs, and uses her hair to clean it. Or another one breaks expensive perfume and pours it on your leg, and uses her hair—I don't know what was it their hair to clean it, and then. You are just sitting there and looking at her. Then one of your disciples now says, this, exp- this perfume is expensive. You would have so And you look to him and say, the poor you will always have with you. Let her do what she's doing. <laughs> do you know that? Many of you love me. You descend my heart. But the day you see me do something like that, you start questioning me. <laughs> you start questioning me. <laughs> Jesus never refused worship. Yes, never. Nobody ever bowed to Jesus and they said, "No, no, chairman, no." <laughs> you know how when, when they wind you to you, nah, know, no, 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 boss, we still the lawyer, We are humble. <laughs> Matthew chapter fourteen, verse thirty-two to thirty-three. And when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Jesus didn't say, I oh, know he's God, he's God. Just stand up. He's not me. We give God thanks. <laughs> no. <laughs> Matthew 28 9. <laughs> and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. And they came and held him by the feet. You can't stand straight and hold somebody by the feet. So how did they hold him by the feet? They laid down to hold his feet. And they worshipped him. And he said, guys, now, guys, stop. You guys, stop now. Stand up. <laughs> he stood there gallant. When you finish worshipping, stand up. Let's talk. <laughs> Never refused worship. John chapter 20, verse 27 to 28. And then saith he to Thomas, reach thou thy finger reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing and Thomas answered and said unto him my lord and my god the Hebrew, the original Greek rendition is not just my lord and my god, it is the god of me and the lord of me That is, you, you control everything about me you owe, I owe my entire allegiance to you. That's worship at a high degree. Jesus didn't say, oh, stop, 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 stop. And it's important to note that this was not a matter of honor for spiritual leadership. Pay attention. Because for every other person in the New Testament that this kind of preference was given to, they refused it. When they worshipped Paul and Apollos... As God Paul tore his shirts and said, Look at see his flesh that I have, don't worship me. Un- Even angels refused worship. <laughs> Are you with me? Angels refused worship. So we see consistently that the only person in scriptures that accepted any form of worship was God. And Jesus accepted worship. So Jesus is God because number three, he accepted worship or he never refused worship. Finally, This where we will stop. This where we will stop, I promise. I can squeeze it in. (laughs) Jesus is God because he acted like God. Mark chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. Mark chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. Mark 2, 5 to 11. How do you get to 2 Samuel, you guys? (laughs) Come on, hurry up. I'm trying to squeeze this thing in when Jesus saw their faith he said unto the sick of the palsy son thy sins be forgiven thee (laughs) next verse (laughs) but they were certain there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts verse 7 why does this man thus speak blasphemies who can forgive sins but God only Verse next. And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Verse nine. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? Verse ten. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy. Verse eleven. I say unto thee, arise and take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. Now, the, back, um, the context you should have to this is when the Pharisees saw a person sick of the palsy, a person is most likely paralyzed and um, convulsing, they believed that happened because either he committed sins or his parents committed sins. In fact, the Jews generally believed that there were some sicknesses that would only come upon you because of sins. If you have committed sins or somebody has committed, if you read John 9, there was a man who was born, I think, lame or blind. One of those two, he was blind. And then Jesus' disciples asked Jesus, whose sins made this man blind? Is it his own sins or his parents' sins? So they bring a man in John chapter 5, in Mark chapter 5, rather, or Mark 2, they bring a man before Jesus and his Seek with the palsy. And they say, heal him. And Jesus looks at him and, first of all, to get you healed, your sins are forgiven. Now, the Pharisees hear him and say, how dare you? It's, your, it's the audacity for me. His sins are forgiven. Can you forgive sins? And it's easy to say the sins are forgiven because we don't have proof. So Jesus says, the Pharisees say, only God can forgive sins. Now, would we agree That if the sickness was a result of the sinfulness of the man, then the proof that the sins have been forgiven is the healing of the sickness. So Jesus says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise up, take up your bed and walk. But that I will prove to you that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He looks to the man and says, stand up. Take your bed. Go home. And the guy gets up, takes his bed. And goes home. What does that prove? If the Pharisees submitted that only God has the power to forgive sins. And the proof that that man's sins were forgiven was that he was healed. And Jesus healed that man. It means Jesus had the power to forgive his sins. Which means Jesus was slash is God. So why do we call Jesus God? Because he acted like God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I will stop there for today. Tomorrow, I said tomorrow. I wish it was tomorrow. <laughs> but next week, I would start from your response to the deity of Jesus. All right, your response to the deity of Jesus. Father, thank you for such an experience today. Thank you for your hallowed presence. Thank you because we are not left without a witness. Thank you for all that we have learned about your son Jesus Christ. And Daddy, we just pray that by your spirit, those things that we have learned will stay with us and we will grow in this knowledge. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Please put your hands together as you welcome Pastor Fini to wrap this service up. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any
1: of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.